Good evening, everybody. Good afternoon, buddy. How you doing, Scott? I am spectacular. We have guests tonight, buddy. We do have guests, and we need to introduce our guests. We don't have to. I mean, one does, it, it, one's it's... looking at me like she's going to stab me in the face, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff and Julie, how are y'all doing? Great, We're doing really you. well. We're doing awesome. Really well. Thanks for letting us be here. Absolutely. We're so happy to have them. They are missionaries in Thailand. And so it is a treat to have them with us tonight. We only get to see y'all like, I don't know, once a year. Every maybe couple of years. Yeah. Every couple every of years. Every couple of years, three years. It's almost like a wormer. You know, you just take it every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> but we're really happy Make to see Make sure to get the full dose. It was a surprise. I pulled up and I saw a card there and I didn't know who it was. And There you go. Uh, like, who is that? That's my friend Jeff right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still laughing about the wormer joke. That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> So uh, tonight's okay. just sort of an informal discussion, just bounce ideas off each other, biblical ideas, of course, but we're going to be talking tonight about the new covenant and the transition from the old and the new. And we talked about this, I think it was two weeks ago, so it's been a little yeah. bit, but was we it? talked about Wednesday, yeah. dispensations, kind of explained the differences between the old covenant and the new covenant, not just the difference between the Mosaic law and the new covenant. But also, we talked about the Abrahamic covenant. We talked about the Noahic covenant. And really, it's just part of a general discussion about the relevance of the Old Testament because there is this growing trend among evangelicals to downplay the relevance of the Old Testament, which is very alarming. And so we talked a little bit about that, but we're going to kind of pick up where we left off. One of the verses that I thought was very interesting um, was Hebrews 8.13. And... The author of Hebrews and me and Scott over the years, we've kind of gone back and forth about who we think wrote it, but uh, that doesn't really matter. We know it's inspired. We know God wrote it. But in verse 13, it says, In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So if you go back a few verses, the author quotes from Jeremiah 31, which is the classic Old um, Testament passage about the new covenant. And so we looked at that and how it's eschatological. It has a fulfillment during the time of Christ whenever he shed his blood and he instituted the new covenant. And so we have spiritual privileges already from that new covenant. But there's also an end times element. We know that the New Testament promises the revival of Israel and the new covenant involves those dry bones reviving and Israel being restored, not just politically, not just in their land, but also being restored spiritually. And so we discussed that, but there's some other things that came up as I was studying this. Buddy, so yes, interrupt. You're going to have to explain the sound, the sound. It's not Jeff. <laughs> what's wrong? It is not Jeff. Oh, Oh, gotcha. I was like, what's going on here? Uh, yeah, that sound in the background. If you're wondering, that is my you, yeah. seventh month old baby, uh, Jasher. And uh, he is just bouncing away in his little thing and having a good old time. So just try to do your best to ignore that if you pick it up. <laughs> and so anyways, that's what it is. Uh, he's making a joyful noise unto the Lord. Amen. And so in, in the New Testament, when it talks about the law, there's a lot of different ways that Christians over the years have tried to interpret the law and how it pertains to us now as Christians. So what applies for us today? Um, are we under the law or are we not? Well, Paul says in no uncertain terms that we're not under the law. But obviously that doesn't mean we just do whatever we want to do. He also says in Galatians 6.2 that we're bound to the law of Christ. And so there's a sense in which Christians are bound to some sort of law. We are expected 
as we're sanctified to obey the commandments. And the commandments summarized are love God and love your neighbor, love one another, uh, especially love among Christian brethren. That's something highlighted a ton, especially by John and first John. And we talked about that a while back when we went through that book. And so we are bound to some sort of law. Obviously the law though, cannot condemn the Christian because we have been set free from the law. We've been justified. We talked about how we are free from the eternal consequences of the law. Mm -hmm. So the penalty of breaking the law is eternal separation from God because of what we have in Christ. We don't have to fear that anymore, but at the same time, there are consequences. And so that's something really important. I think to share with people, especially new believers that though we are set free from fear of death, we know that when we die, we're going into the presence of the Lord that doesn't mean that the Lord, who is now our Father, won't discipline us. That doesn't mean that there won't be a judgment seat of Christ that we all stand before one day and are assessed at. So while our eternal security is not on the line, that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences in this life. And so one of the verses that comes to mind as we discuss this is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56. And I'll actually move back a little bit. And I'll read starting in verse 51 because these are just really encouraging verses that we all need to hear. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is a sense absolutely in that we are positionally sanctified. That would be the, the technical phraseology there. We are in Christ. We're redeemed. We're born again. We're justified. But at the same time, we still as Christians struggle with sin. And because we struggle with sin, that means that the law in some sense does continue to condemn us. Paul treats this a lot in the book of Romans in Romans 7 when he talks about his own experience uh, Paul talks about being alive, so he speaks of being alive, which would imply that when he says these words, he's born again, but yet he goes on and he talks about how when he went under the law, mm. and I assume this was probably soon after his conversion, uh, probably when he was in Arabia, I mean, that's my best guess, but he said he was under the law and the law slayed him. Yeah, he was, he was struggling between this new man that he had through the Holy Spirit and the flesh, which is that uh, remnant of the old man that he was battling with. And he kept trying to be sanctified by the law. And he found that he just kept failing again and again. He says, I have this desire uh, to do what the law says to do, but yet I, I just don't seem to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. And so he constantly right. struggled and he said that we can easily as Christians be defeated. That's why in Romans 8, he goes on and talks about how we walk by the spirit and so we know that we're children of God, we're heirs according to that promise, and so that gives us our assurance of salvation, and that empowers us, as we've talked about before, to live our lives for the Lord. But uh, we all know the struggle that we have often had, I've often had it, and that's, I feel that though my salvation isn't in question, that I'm just not measuring up, 
And sometimes I'm not measuring up because I'm not. Sometimes I think it's because I'm under conviction. Mm. And so we all struggle with the flesh. And so in that sense, going back to this, this question of is the law in force or not? Well, I think the law is always going to be accusing us because we're still on our flesh. And I think mm-hmm. there will come a day as it's promised here in first Corinthians 15, when we have incorruptible bodies mm. and in that state, we'll no longer have the law accusing us because we won't no struggle. Yeah, we won't struggle against sin anymore. And so, yeah, there is a sense if someone says the law still in force. Well, eternally speaking, our salvation has been settled by faith. It's not by works of the law, but yes, the law is something that still has value and that it shows us the righteousness of God. So I think there are some people who, because they're trying to maintain justification by grace through faith alone, uh, sometimes they'll go too far and say, well, the law really has no place whatsoever in the Christian life anymore. Well, I mean, the 10 commandments, when they say don't bear false testimony, don't commit adultery. I mean, those are just as righteous. Okay, those are just as moral and just as much expected for us to keep those now as they were in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. But uh, the difference between uh, the people who were living in, let's say, Jesus' day and Paul's day, who misunderstood the purpose of the law and thought they had to keep it to be saved, well, we now know that that's not the case. And so that does free us up to where we can honor God, not because we have to to get to heaven, but because we love God because he loved us first. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense in which the law is always going to accuse me. And that's why I always have to go back to the word of God and say, okay, I'm saved. And because I'm saved, I want to honor God in my life, but I need to make sure that I'm not putting myself under the law so far as to say that my acceptance in the eyes of God is based on that. That's what happened with the Galatians. You know, they started out, Paul said they received the Holy Spirit by faith. They didn't receive it by the law. (laughs) And so he says, you put yourself back under that yoke of bondage. And it was because, of course, the Judaizers came in, and these were people who were saying they had to keep the law to be saved. You know, faith wasn't enough. They had to to do the commandments too. But, of course, Paul explains that salvation comes by faith in Christ and by his grace, and we should bear fruits of the Spirit, and we should not bear the fruits of the flesh. And he lists those fruits in Galatians. But, again, we have to properly understand the order that grace is the way we enter into the family of God. Um, it's not by our works, but once you enter the family of God, he does give you work to do. Um, and of course, while our callings may be different, God's law doesn't change because God doesn't change. But that does bring up another question. When we speak of the law, the way I've been talking about it so far, I've been talking about the law and its moral aspect. So I've been talking about, you know, those things that we would all think of if we were to say, what's the law? Like, what is the heart of the law? We might think of the Sermon on the Mount, right? We might think of the fundamentals of the law, speaking truth, living humbly, loving others sacrificially. Those are some things that would come to mind. But of course, there are other aspects of the law too, and those are civil and ceremonial. So how do those tie into the Christian life? And that's a really important topic to discuss because there are so many people today. I run into people who they are becoming very much infatuated Mm -hmm. with those aspects of the law, the ceremonial aspects of the law. Can't keep those. The temple's gone. And and they're trying their best to do as much as they can. I mean, they know Mm -hmm. that they're not supposed to sacrifice the animals because Jesus has come and fulfilled that. But they'll say, well, we still need to keep the feast, though. Yeah. And we need to make sure that we eat kosher. And, I mean, these are some genuine people, some people that I know and— uh, they love the Lord. And if I was to ask them like a salvation by doing these things, they would say no adamantly. They would say salvation's a free gift, but they would say 
you still need to do them. Maybe not to be saved. Maybe but you favor with God. But yeah, they would. It's like they don't want to go as far sometimes to say that it gives you that spiritual advantage. But it's really what they mean, even if they don't say it. Right. And so the passage of scripture that I think while they they have their ways around it, it's uh, Colossians chapter two. And uh, I got the verses marked here. Sorry, I got to go down on my notes. Uh, Colossians chapter two, verse 16 I mean, Paul addresses this in, in no uncertain terms. So in Colossians 2, 16, he says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. The substance is of Christ. So what this clearly is saying is we do not have to keep these ritual aspects of the law anymore. Now, if you want to keep these things, Paul's not saying you can't do it. I mean, after all, even Paul and later on in the book of Acts, I mean, he apparently was under a Nazarite vow. Uh, he went up to the temple and he gave an offering for purification. Like Paul did these things, but at the same time, he clearly taught that it wasn't required. So he did these things, I think for evangelistic purposes, he knew that, you know, Jews are coming out of the old system and it's going to be very hard to transition, okay? When you've been living this way your entire life, it's been mm-hmm. thousands of years. So he understands that. Uh, but I think there is nothing wrong if someone says to themselves, you know what? I think that doing a Seder, it gives us a rich experience. You know, it, it just gives us a powerful visual of what Christ has done. And we've done a Seder. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking of our Seder right I know. Now. <laughs> I mean, I think about it too. Uh, we had some projectile vomit at our Seder. I don't think that's part of <laughs> Exodus. but was Seder, bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Any, anyways um yeah it was it was a fun experience we'll have to try it again sometime and hopefully we don't repeat that aspect but um hopefully hopefully yes. but yeah i mean over over christmas over christmas there's a lot of imagery about the feast of tabernacles you know right. in john chapter one and so yep. we did some fun stuff with the kids you know we did our little sukkah, you know, we had a sheet and we, <laughs> we made a little opening where just as the Jews would, they'd have an opening when they built their sukkahs or Sukkot and they could see the stars. So we had this little star machine. So we really had a good time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We were not very consistent by the way. I mean, we were not doing things according to the letter, but we were doing this because I'm it so was just another buddy. way of making the season, not about Santa Claus and all this other stuff, but making the season about the Lord. And so if people want to do that, fine. But the problem is, Whenever they start saying, okay, you have to do it. Right. And uh, if you it's don't, part of, you're not really a believer. You're some, not really. Some would say that. Some would say, well, if you're, you're maybe not unsaved, you're but you're carnal. Yeah. Maybe they would say you're just a carnal believer because you refuse to do it. So they're putting themselves back under that yoke. Maybe not as far as the Galatians who thought they had to do it for justification, mm. but uh, people can say, oh, it's necessary for sanctification. And that's wrong too. So again, the ritual aspects of the law, they point to Jesus. And I think we need to be familiar with them. Like I love studying the old Testament. I'm going through judges right now. Uh, it's been a long time since I've gone through the book of Leviticus, but studying Leviticus and seeing all the typology as it pertains to redemption and Jesus, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so while I'm not going to keep those ritual laws and I don't feel the need to you learn, I learn from it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we shouldn't have this attitude that says, because we're not under the law, let's just not bother with it. Let's just ditch the whole Old Testament. Let's just ditch the whole Testament because there are people like that. They yeah, really are. there's prominent pastors like they'll, that. They'll say, why are you preaching from the Old Testament? Because the Old Testament only trips people up, they'll say. So I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but can go I, ahead. Can I jump in on that? Sure, absolutely. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. 
um, speaks clearly on that. And I'm using the ESV because that's what I'm familiar with. Sure. It says, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the strict scriptures, we might have hope. Amen. So even the scripture itself says, don't throw away the Old Testament. Yes. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, and, and 1 Corinthians says the same thing. The things were written down for our benefit, for our right. edification. Um, Jesus referred to the Old Testament constantly. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't understand the book of Revelation if you don't know. No, absolutely. Yeah. That's right. what the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And we know that Revelation speaks of the end times to come. So mm-hmm. God expects his people to know what he has mm-hmm. said from the beginning to end. And so, yes, even though Hebrews chapter one talks about how in the old, you know, previous days, God spoke through the prophets, but now he speaks through his son, Jesus, his son, Jesus doesn't throw away the old Testament. Yes, absolutely. And so I think that's the key. Uh, speaking on the whole idea of, um, people coming up into to you and saying, okay, listen, you know, you need to follow these particular rituals and you covered it very well in the Colossians passage. But um, Romans 14 talks about this as well, uh, verse 4. That says it really specifically, and it says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Mm-hmm. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And so the thought that comes to my mind is when Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, and he sends two of his disciples to go prepare the upper room. Mm-hmm. What if Thaddeus went? What if Nathaniel said, oh, I'm going to go too? Mm -hmm. He would have been sinning. He would have been wrong. He would have been going against Jesus' plan because Jesus only told two of them to go, and neither of those two were sent. Right. You know, we, instead of following rules, we need to be following our Lord. Amen. Mm -hmm. And, And that is the personal relationship that comes with. Now, there's two thoughts that run through my head here. First is 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, which just just simply defines sin as lawlessness. Mm -hmm. And so it's just the heart that says, this is what God says, I don't want to do it. Yeah. You know, and as we know, Romans chapter 14 at the very end says, anything not done in faith is sin. Mm -hmm. So what is faith? Faith is, you know, believing what God has said. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. So if we're not listening to Christ personally, it's easy to get caught up in, I think we should all mm-hmm. do this. Which is and coming that, from a position of fear, not faith. Exactly. Exactly. Because now you're talking into the must-dos and the must-haves. Mm-hmm. And Jesus didn't work that way. You know, there were several times when he only had his intimates come along with him. That's right. Mm-hmm. The others were still his disciples. They were doing what Jesus had them do by not doing what the other disciples did. So. Yeah. This uniformity of you must do this, it actually, like you mentioned, fear. It, it comes from a heart that says, if you do what I do, then I feel right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's not standing before the throne, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. and saying, Jesus, have I done what you wanted me to do today? Mm-hmm. Am I living the way you want me to do? And, and it it's almost becomes like a, a Band-Aid. It's easier to follow rules than to follow Absolutely. Christ. Yes, yes. And so learning and to hear the voice of Christ and what you're doing, um, Romans chapter 10, what is it, 36? The, the righteous shall, sorry, Hebrews. You're in Hebrews, Hebrews 10. Shall live by mm-hmm. faith? Yes. And it's said like four times in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Actually, two, two in the Old Testament and I two, if not three, referred to in the New Testament. The righteous, my righteous one shall live by mm-hmm. faith. 
And so that, I think, is the key of what you're talking about, is what is your faith in? Mm-hmm. Is your faith in something that Jesus has said <coughs> for you? Then do it. But don't judge your brother. Yes. No, and yeah. Jesus says That's his between... burden is easy mm-hmm. and his yoke is light. Mm-hmm. And those rules are not following, piling all the rules on mm-hmm. yourself and on other people is not light or easy. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but as, if they want to do it, right. But by as, all means. exactly. <laughs> and sometimes God will lead you in that way. And then that burden becomes light. What used to be a burden, but I'm not doing it to obey the law. Now I'm doing it. Um, Galatians. Paul says that same thing. He says, Hey, listen, you know, I used to follow the law, but no, now I've been crucified with Christ. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't live that way anymore. Christ lives in me, and I just live by faith, and I find that my life is now obeying mm-hmm. the law, but I'm not trying to obey the law. You mentioned it. The power of sin is the law. 1 Corinthians 15, what's 52? The power of sin is the law. What does that say? It says, if I'm focusing on the law, I will find that I keep sinning. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's where the power is. Mm-hmm. You know, we as humans don't like to be told what to do or what not to do. I mean, you don't have to teach a kid to, to not want to do what you tell them to do. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. You can tell them, you know, you have to have ice cream tonight. Eventually, they're going to be like, no, don't tell me what to do, even though it's something they love. Because if my you kids. My girls to, would be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? If it yeah. becomes a have to. Yeah. Then... It's like dieting. The thing that you're not supposed to have is the thing you want. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. And that's how we're wired. And that goes back to why we have the Old Testament. That's what God word, God's word says. Galatians, Paul says, the Old Testament was a tutor mm-hmm. to show us that we have this heart of lawlessness, that we have this sin in us. It's not based upon what we do wrong. It's the heart behind what we do wrong. Yes, and and we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. One of the things that I mentioned that I don't know if I heard it from somebody else, um, but the Old Testament law is so burdensome in its detail i mean it's it's so immense like i can imagine if i was there receiving it for the first time like initially when they're before the mountain and god says you're going to be my kingdom of priests they say we'll do everything that you tell us to do Mm -hmm. like they spoke too soon you know and (laughs) then moses comes down from the mountain and he's not just got the 10 commandments that'd be hard enough but he's got you know over 600 these different rules and and those rules are really specific so much so that if you're reading through the old testament usually stop right there that's right a lot of people get lost like, oh, gosh i can't keep up with yeah. all this sin offering food offering whatever and they get stuck with that but i think the whole point was the reason the law is so burdensome is because god is trying to illustrate how difficult it is to live a life pleasing to him that we sin every single day and we sin often and we don't realize Mm -hmm. that it's sin unintentional sin there were sacrifices for unintentional sin under the law too but we sin unintentionally so we're almost it's like ignorance is bliss we just you know think oh we're good we Mm -hmm. think we're okay and then he says okay let me give you a picture okay because people really need pictures often to understand concepts i'm going to give you a picture and it's called the law i'm going to give you lots of lots of things to do And when you realize that you can't do those things, like every other minute, you've end up done something to broke the law Mm -hmm. and you've got to go to the priest and you got to offer that sacrifice. And they did sacrifices every single day. It was around Mm -hmm. the clock. When you realize how often the law is broken, you should come to this conclusion that, wow, this is meant to reflect my heart. This is meant to reflect that the reason that I break the law so much 
is because I have a sin nature. Exactly. I'm corrupt in my inward being. Mm-hmm. And even if God took away, let's say he takes away, you can't mix these fabrics and you mm. can't eat these foods. Let's say he takes away the externals and he just leaves you with what we might call the moral law. We still break that every single day, more times than we can count. And so I think the law was super burdensome in that sense because it was meant to reveal how incapable we are of living a life pleasing to God. Um, and that's why we needed redemption. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We really need the Holy Spirit as our fail safe because if we didn't, okay, I, I tell my students all the time, I say, okay, if you started right now, let's just say God wipes the slate clean and says everything you've done up to this point in your life, you're good to go, okay? I'm just going to frigate all that. All right, make sure you don't do anything from here on out, okay? All right, ready, set, go. Five I minutes would, later. I would t- I say, <laughs> how many of y'all think you could go an hour? An hour without sinning. And if we understand sin in, in, in all of its depth, I mean, we're not just talking about things that people can see, but also your heart your inward thoughts. and yeah, your, thoughts. your thoughts. Like how long could you go? And, and would most you even of us know because we deceive ourselves. The heart is that's right. deceitful above all things. And but even, even my students will admit they're like, yeah, like I probably couldn't even go an hour. It's like, that's why you need the Holy spirit. And like, and like you said, Jeff, I mean, the Holy spirit filling us with the love of God and gratitude, that personal walk with the Lord, that's the key to actually keeping the law. Um, as it's shared in the Sermon on the Mount, the heart of the law, what it, you know, exactly. when it gets down to it, um, again, moving aside the externals and the types and the illustrations, like mm-hmm. um, the law. Love God and uh, love and your neighbor. And all of its purity. Love God and love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Like we're able to do that, not perfectly. Again, you know, we still have uh, conviction. The mm-hmm. law still condemns us. And that's why we confess our sins. We have to do that daily. But um, mm-hmm. Whenever we're filled with that gratitude, we find ourselves, like you said, keeping the law. And it's because we have a new nature now. Exactly. That's why we're able to do it. Our heart is, as Roman says, we've got this spirit in us crying, Abba, Father, which is the understanding of I want to please God deep down in my heart Mm -hmm. because he's my daddy. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, I have that relationship. I don't want to do these things because he said do these things. I want to do these things because I want to put a smile on his face because I love him that yes. much and that's god's own spirit doing it that's not us mm-hmm. that's his spirit melding with our spirit as paul told the corinthian church it's changing that new mm-hmm. so that we have this impetus now it's that spirit part it's the energy There's, the flesh is still sinful yeah. this flesh still has these drives and desires yeah and one thing i don't know if it's ever really come up but the levitical law had no offering for intentional sin I don't know if you've noticed that. Mm-mm. Leviticus chapter 4. Everything about Leviticus chapter 4, and I just did a quick study, I just did a quick perusal of Levit- of Leviticus chapter 4. If you just in your if you have a like a Bible dictionary or, or, or a program that does a search, look for the word unintentional. And you will see that in Leviticus chapter 4, it says unintentional over and over and over again. Mm. Whenever these offerings were mentioned, the word unintentional is in there. Verse 2, speak to the people of Israel saying, if anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done and does any one of them, you can jump down lower. It says it again. In verse... Boom, 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 boom. 
Well, you guys can find it quicker than mm. I can, probably. Yeah, verse 13, verse, verse 13. 27. Yes. Over and over, all these things are about unintentional sins. <laughs> and if you go to Hebrews chapter 9, it says that exactly. That these things were for unintentional sins. What's that verse in Hebrews again? I'm getting there right now. Let me let me go back to Leviticus 4 and find it one more time. Boom. Um You find it? Hebrews 9 7? 7? Yeah. Yep, Hebrews 9 7. Go ahead and read that, Scott. This is for the heirs of the people. Yeah. Verse 7. Yeah, he offers for himself and for the, it's actually the unintentional sins of the people. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The ESV translates its unintentional. I can just pull up the Greek real quick to double it's check M-E-V, that. But, but the I only believe... high priest went into the second part of the year, not without blood, which he offered for himself, mm-hmm. but the sins of the people committed in ignorance, mm-hmm. which is unintentional. Yeah. So Romans ten three says, for being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to the righteousness of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were ignorant of what they had to do. And so we forget just the amazing sacrifice of Christ. Mm-hmm. Because he, this is why the blood and sheep of goats doesn't, doesn't forgive sins. Mm. Because we don't always sin unintentionally, if we're completely honest. We literally sin intentionally. We yeah. know what we're supposed to do, and yeah. we don't do it. Mm-hmm. And we make that choice. And yet Jesus' blood paid for the intentional sins of the people. Mm-hmm. And it's that realization hmm. of a need to repent and repent not only originally but continually. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, you mentioned about uh, this talking to your students and saying, hey, how many of you can just, okay, from now on, don't go, go and sin no more. Isn't that what Jesus said? Like three times? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These people didn't walk away saved because nope. he's like, go and sin no more. You haven't repented yet. The woman caught in adultery. That's now, and we can argue about whether John right. 8 is in the Bible or not in the Bible based upon the historical documents and stuff like that. God's maintained it, so I'm good with it. And the, the point is this. The woman, he says, what about you? And she says, there's nobody left. Right. No, mm-hmm. she was left. Mm-hmm. She could have said, no, I, I, I have sinned. Mm-hmm. I, you know, if he, he without sin cast the first stone, what about right. her? She was caught in adultery and, and how unfair it may have been in the setup. It still occurred and it was an intentional sin. She could have repented and been saved right then. Mm. And maybe she did. Maybe, maybe she, she did, did later but, on. But, but later on, exactly. And we can only pray that she did when God said, go and sin no more. And she realized she can't go and sin no more. That the realization that all you have to do is this one thing Jesus tells you, don't sin anymore. Yeah, yeah. And you can't. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of what Paul talks about in Romans 2. He says that if you were to obey in patience and in continuance, mm-hmm. yeah. um, then you would receive as would. a reward exactly. yeah. eternal life like Romans you would too. if you could do exactly. it. But and you, you, can. you can't. You can't, right? Uh-huh. So anyways, that you're right. That is the realization. Um, and so clearly it's not about rituals. It's about a relationship. Amen. Um, now something else that it comes up whenever we talk about the law, especially if you're in dispensational circles, mm-hmm. um, when we take scripture, literally when we're looking at Ezekiel 40 through 48, mm-hmm. it appears that there's some sort of law that is 
at work in the millennium. So we're going to have a, yeah. a restored temple. Um, it's going to be apparently a different temple from the one that's built in the tribulation or right yep. prior to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it says in Zechariah that the Messiah will build the temple with his own hands. That's obviously not the temple that's erected in the We're tribulation. About the nations exactly. coming up and giving all of that stuff. That, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So in the millennium, you got people coming up to the temple. You have the, the priesthood of Zadok. I mean, they are uh, offering sacrifices and you have the prince of the people who's of David's line. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into all those details. There's lots mm-hmm. of speculation, especially about, mm-hmm. you know, who this prince is. I'm not going into that right now. Yep. The, the main thing that I wanted to point out is there's some sort of law if you take that literally. Yes. And I do. Yes. I believe mm-hmm. that it's literal. So why, um, especially if you read the book of Hebrews and it talks about how the sacrifice of Christ has made obsolete the old covenant, why you, still- you run into this huge mm-hmm. question of, okay, let's take the Bible literally. Sometimes mm-hmm. we run into difficulties. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not God's problem. Okay. God's mm-hmm. perfectly consistent all the time. Yeah. Uh, it's us sometimes that have a hard time making sense of things. So mm-hmm. uh, first we need to point out that if you carefully examine it, the law of Moses and what is being described in Ezekiel 40 through 48 is not identical. Mm-hmm. So there are differences, key differences. These are differences that will be lost on Gentiles, to be honest with you. So if you're not familiar with the law, you're going to read Ezekiel 40 through 48, and you're probably going to think it's essentially the same thing. Yeah. And there are a lot of big differences. Okay. Um, but the main thing I guess that everybody asks about is the animal sacrifices. Mm-hmm. So there are animal sacrifices that take place. Mm-hmm. Um, usually the standard view given is that, it has to do with a memorial. So we have mm-hmm. the Lord's Supper. It is a memorial. Uh, it is a, a bloodless sacrifice. Okay, so it's not a real sacrifice unless you're Catholic and you believe in transubstantiation, mm-hmm. which we don't. Right. Um, but it is a reminder of the blood of Christ and what he's done for us. And many would argue that those animal sacrifices are basically the same thing. So it's just a reminder of what Christ has already done. Um, however, I think there's something more to it than that. Mm-hmm. Um Whenever God sets up his throne on earth and whenever the millennium begins, when Jesus is reigning in the Holy of Holies in this brand new temple, Mm -hmm. the creation is going to be changed. Mm -hmm. Now, there's still going to be some sin in the millennium. I mean, it talks about sin or dying in the millennium. So, I mean, sin and death have not completely been done away with at this point. If Egypt doesn't give tribute, it doesn't get any rain. Yes. Then Zechariah talks about him striking the nations that don't come up for the Feast of Tabernacles. So this is the sort of thing that's going to be happening in the millennium. And I think that's why a lot of people, um, they, they like the reformed viewpoint, uh, allegorizing a lot Mm. of this stuff in the old Testament, because Mm. it's just too weird. Like in people's minds, Jesus has come, he's died. He's rose again. He's removed the law. He's removed all these rituals. There's no need for animal sacrifice anymore. So when he comes, he's going to fix everything. There's not going to be any interval. But the millennium seems to be this time period where the earth is in transition. It's progressive, right? We're not going backward. The lion's laying down with the lamb. So we're not seeing all the death and creation. We are seeing major changes. That's right. Major changes are happening. Uh, We see the curse removed from animals. uh, Carnivorous behavior, Mm -hmm. like you said, is gone. Whereas sacrifices bringing that back, sin causes death to the people that are in their natural bodies. Yeah. So, you know, going along with that, I mean, these people who are in their natural bodies in the millennium, these are people who they're living in paradise. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're living in an age where people are, they had these extended lifespans like the pre-flood right. patriarchs. And so death is not an everyday occurrence for them, especially if animal death isn't occurring mm-hmm. as it does now. Mm-hmm. So how would someone really understand mm-hmm. the consequences of sin 
if there's not something that kind of pierces through the reverie, because there's going to be a lot of reverie during that time. It's going to be a beautiful mm-hmm. time. Um, and of course that's an understatement, but I think that the idea that people will go up to the temple and they'll offer sacrifices and they'll see death take place. Mm-hmm. It'll be a poignant reminder for these people that have not yet received their glorified bodies, right. mm-hmm. that sin is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Sin deserves death. Mm-hmm. You may not yourself remember a time when death like this was common every single day and atrocities mm-hmm. happen and war happened. Like yeah. people are going to have their, their swords beat into plowshares. They're not mm-hmm. going to know what war is like until the very end of the millennium. Mm-hmm. So during this time period, mm-hmm. um, people that are brought up and that's all that they know, I think that they're going to need some reminder of death. Um, mm-hmm. I think that uh, it makes sense because when I was a kid, I can remember, I think I was seven years old. The first time I went deer hunting um, and I, sh- I pulled the trigger. All I could see was my dad's smile. And my dad was so happy and so proud of me because mm-hmm. I just, I've been hunting one time and I shot that deer and it was like the best day ever. My brother, he saw one, he shot one. We both got a deer in the same hunt. First mm-hmm. time we ever been hunting. And so I didn't even think about the fact that I just shot an animal. It was this at Pappy's me. farm? It was at Pappy's farm. I feel farm. like the deck was stacked in your favor. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of deer down there. But anyways, uh, you know, when we were, you know, following the trail and we finally came upon it uh, and I saw the deer, I guess I was really shocked because the deer's eyes were still open. You know, it's dead, but its eyes are open. And I can remember as a kid, like I knew what death was, but this is probably mm-hmm. the first time that I've seen death like up close and you killed something yeah like i I mean Mm -hmm. bugs and stuff run over a squirrel you just kind of put it out Mm -hmm. of mind but actually seeing it right in front Mm -hmm. of you um it was a shock to me and even now as an adult anytime i go hunting and i and i kill a deer um while i'm thankful for the meat that i harvest there at the same time when i look at i'm like this death is unnatural Mm -hmm. i mean while what i did isn't wrong but it's unnatural. It's mm-hmm. like people who have to take the life of someone to defend their family. Mm-hmm. It's not wrong, but it's unnatural. And anybody who's happy about that, anybody mm-hmm. that takes joy from that, um, that is corrupt. That, that yeah. is perverse. Yeah. And so whenever people are living in that pristine age during mm-hmm. the millennium, I think that having some form of the law and being reminded that the penalty of lawlessness is mm-hmm. death and being given an illustration of that, it's going to be so important. And remember how the sacrifices were done. I mean, the penitent person brought this innocent animal and then laid their hands Mm -hmm. on the Mm -hmm. head and to transfer their personal, very personal that this will die because of my sin, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's very, very, very personal. So I I agree with you 110% that, that in in, in keeping in mind that in the prophecies and, and you probably have them memorized better than I, that the idea of the, the nations Mm-hmm. following the Jews, yes, grabbing yes. their robes and saying, take me Teach too. Us. Because yeah. the Jews will have to go under the rod. They'll have to pass through and declare Jesus as Christ, right. mm-hmm. entering into the millennial kingdom. But the nations is what that's all about now. And it goes back to you know the whole idea of Deuteronomy 4 of why God gave the law to the Jews in the first place. So that all the nations would right. say, wow, you have no other God but your God who's right. so close yeah. to you. All the nations. And no other nation, that's so, no other law that's so wise. Mm-hmm. And you we know? won't be there. Well, we'll be there. We'll be there in glorified bo- forms. In glorified bodies. Yes. So they have, they'll have they really have no one else to go to but exactly. the Jews. And exactly. that's, that's yeah. another thing that, you know, Scott, I'm glad you mentioned that because there is a really cool verse. It's one of my favorites for a number of reasons. Um, but it's in Revelation 20 verse 6 and mm-hmm. it's in this passage that tells us about the millennium in 
Revelation. It doesn't give you a lot of information. Mm-hmm. There's only one verse in the Bible that says it's going to be a thousand years, and it's mm-hmm. it's here in Revelation 20. But mm-hmm. in verse 6, it says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they who? These are people who have partaken of that first resurrection. They have mm-hmm. glorified bodies. It says, They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And so, you know, reigning with Christ a thousand years, we often highlight that. I hear a lot of preachers mention that, but being a priest, mm-hmm. um, there's going to be an interesting setup. And it, I think it's parallel to the way things are now in a way. Um, right now, angels serve us even if we don't know all the details, mm-hmm. right? right. Um, we know that they're ministers to us who are heirs of salvation. Mm-hmm. And so they, they, they're set up over nations as well. We see that mm-hmm. in the book of Daniel. Mm-hmm. So in the book of Revelation, what we see is this, it's like a change of roles here. The people who are serving as priests between God and Christ on one side, which by the way, shows the equality of father and son in a beautiful mm-hmm. way. Right. Okay. It's a key proof text of mm-hmm. the deity of Christ, but you have the father and Christ on one side. And then on the other side, you have these people in natural, in natural bodies, bodies that are talked about all throughout the old Testament. And the peace tool, uh, the people who are priests between those two groups are those who partake of the first resurrection. Right. So exactly what our role would be, I don't know, but it's going to be what is described there. There's mm-hmm. going to be some kind of going between. Mm-hmm. Um, we will have access to God and to Christ in a way that natural body people won't. If you read Ezekiel mm-hmm. 40 through 48 again, there is this type of separation. I tell my students when I teach through the Old Testament, I say, if you're reading the Old Testament and you feel like God's kind of over there and we're over here, you got the right picture. Mm-hmm. God is over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this distance because God's That's holy we need and a mediator. Yeah, we need a mediator. And so they had Moses. Uh, but you know, even then it was like, you know, they're at the base of the mountain. <clears throat> Moses can come up. The elders were permitted. Uh, but still... You know, only the high priest could go in that one time a year. So there's this distance between God and man. And of course, in the New Testament, the veil is torn. And so we who have received uh, this new born again nature and who will one day have glorified bodies, we're able to go beyond the veil and we're able to have access to God in in a way that these people who are living in natural bodies, they don't have that in the sense that they see God over there. He's in the Holy of Holies. Uh, we have the prince who's able to come up close to him and eat before him. Mm. But even then, the Holy of Holies is still the dwelling place of God. It's just like in the Old mm-hmm. Testament, you know, no one was able to go up in there except the high priest that one time a year. And so these people who are living during this time, again, they're being taught that principle of separation. I think that we in the church age, we're more blessed and privileged than we realize. Um, I do believe that in the old Testament, they were justified the same way we are. Abraham is is a key example of that, Mm -hmm. but uh, we have so many privileges that we don't even realize. Mm -hmm. Um, And whenever we are living in the millennium with our glorified bodies, we're going to have that access to God at special access because we have learned and, and we're learning now. Um, and we're not living in a utopia. We're not living in a utopia, but we're learning. We're learning now. Um, and it's something we have to constantly remind ourselves of the cross and what it represents. Mm -hmm. Uh, the cross is the most powerful picture of the holiness of God, the sin of man and the love of God in, in bridging the gap between us and him. Mm -hmm. And so we see how powerful sin is. It's hold over our lives and we see how terrible its consequences are because of the cross. And again, people who are living in that utopia, um, 
it's going to be hard for them, I believe, to wrap their minds around the same understanding that we have that today. We have now, yeah. um, that's because when I think of the death of Jesus, I'm able to in some way pull from my experiences. I've never seen a crucifixion. I'm thankful that I have it, but I'm able to pull from experience and say, okay, I understand death. I understand suffering, but living in the millennium, again, the bliss of that time, there's going to be a need, need for something to pierce through. Need, they need something to shock them. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. that's exactly what I'm yeah. looking for there. I mean, think about whenever we we read stories of people that lived generations ago and how different their world mm. experience was than ours, and we're all living in the same sin-fallen world with death and corruption. Mm-hmm. How different it will be whenever you've got people that, oh yeah, we lived before the millennium, and this is what life was like, and yeah. they can't relate at all because they have no point of reference yeah imagine Mm. you know god giving us the awesome privilege of teaching okay again i don't understand the interaction Mm -hmm. the bible doesn't give us a ton of details but imagine us teaching these people Mm -hmm. and us trying to explain Mm. not sin sin i guess would be pretty self-explanatory this is god's standard and you haven't measured up to that this is the consequences the consequences like trying to explain to someone war and that kind of savagery when Mm -hmm. someone has never seen anything like that Mm -hmm. um Again, that death that they see whenever the the sacrifice happens, they put their hands on it and they see it slain. They'll be able to have some grasp of that's what Jesus did for you. That's how serious your sin is. Yeah, that's yeah. how serious your sin yeah. is. And so I think that um, there is a sense in which the law will be in play during the millennium. But like I said, mm-hmm. you know, to be technical, mm-hmm. it's not the Mosaic law, but it is a, a form of law to be a schoolmaster, to be right. a teacher, to reveal to people their need. Absolutely. And I think the fact that we don't often think about in the millennial kingdom how the, the nations, the unredeemed nations, are not able to approach God. Mm-mm. You know, they get this idea of everybody's all happy and everything's all peaceful. And yes, the earth has been renewed, but they're still going to have that separation. And I think in seeing this prince and this separation going on, I think it goes back to what, like Ezekiel in chapter one, when he saw God, Mm. he fell on his face Mm -hmm. and he was being shown this vision under the protection of God. Yet he was still so awe struck by it that he fell on his face. Same thing with John in revelation. You know, he's protected. He knows this Jesus. He loves this Jesus. He used to rest on his Mm -hmm. breast. Mm -hmm. Yet when he saw who Jesus really is and all his deity, he falls on his face. And so I think that concept of falling is what this law is about. This realization of the distance and the separation between the two. And I think our our part will be a part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And going right along with that, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, in Revelation fifteen eight, it talks about the vials, mm-hmm. uh, the bowls, and we haven't got there in our study yet. But in verse eight, it says the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, mm-hmm. and no man was mm-hmm. able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. You know what's amazing is I, I love reading Revelation because it describes me. I know I'm a believer. I know I'm going to be there. So mm-hmm. when it talks about the people who are in heaven, what they can do, can't do, what they're doing, like that involves me, mm-hmm. which is really cool. But I read that verse and I realize that there's going to be a time where I'm standing there and there's going to be a point during the tribulation where the heavenly temple is closed. 
Now that means the people who are in heaven are there and they see this happen. They see the angels come out. They've got the vials. The judgments are about to be poured out on the earth and no one, not even the redeemed in heaven, not even the angels are able to approach mm -hmm. the temple at this mm -hmm. point. Yeah. So again, that that's a, there's a sense that's different than the new heaven, and the new earth, the new yeah. heaven, and new earth uh, on, on the top of the new Jerusalem. We see like the, the throne of the father and lamb and like the light just covers everybody. It's mm -hmm. like canopy and there's no need for a temple, exactly. right? There is exactly. no temple. It's there like no God, temple. God is everywhere and his glory mm -hmm. is, is experienced yep. everywhere. And access is free. Absolutely. But then you go back a little bit. I mean, and you're mm -hmm. thinking, oh, well, when we die and we get to heaven, like, that'll be it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, well, we experience a whole lot more than we experience now mm -hmm. in terms of privileges and benefits, but yep. it's still not mm -hmm. the complete and final form mm -hmm. of eternal life right. that God intends for right. believers. Mm -hmm. And so even during the tribulation, like when we're in heaven and we're saved from the wrath of God, mm -hmm. I mean, there's still going to be a point at which God is demonstrating even to people who are up there mm -hmm. that this is how sinful mm. yep. mankind is. It's so sinful that no one can come into the temple yeah. until this is done. Access to the mercy seat is closed mm -hmm. at that point. Yes. This is a frightening thought. It is. Yeah. It's, it's overwhelming because mm -hmm. it, it seems to strongly imply um, that during that point in the tribulation, people will have been hardened so much that they that can't come to when, repentance. Yeah. When the plagues are being poured out, I mean, they're mm -hmm. gnawing on their tongues and blaspheming God. Yep. And, uh, I don't like to think about that. Mm -mm. And I never but, used um, to imagine that. And now with people, the way that they are, I can totally see it. Mm, totally well, see it. There it, are people that they don't care that they're, they're, they're so, they've got such an issue with God that they think that they have the righteous judgment of God. I can totally see that happening. Well, I think that some people say, well, everybody said that, you know, it's getting worse and it's really not everything's the same. It's you know nothing new under the sun. However, there is, there is something to be said about how at the tower of Babel, God said that I have to stop this. Like mm -hmm. it, if they put their minds to it, they can do anything. Yep. And he was not speaking in a positive sense there. Right. And so he scattered them and mankind has been isolated. And basically he said, go to your corner. And it's been like that. Talk amongst yourself. For human mm -hmm. history. <laughs> it's right. been like that for human history. And now we see it coming together and it's not really a, a geographical thing. No. It's we're connected. Mm -hmm. uh, we're connected in terms of politics and transportation and technology and communication. Mm -hmm. And we're connected in terms of ideology. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, it's just this, this lawlessness mm -hmm. is, you know, secular humanism really. And, mm -hmm. and so I do think that we are, we're getting very close and, you know, only the mm -hmm. Lord, he knows the time and, mm -hmm. and it's not for us to know, but yeah. uh, it is, it is alarming. Mm -hmm. But if we again, go back to our position in Christ, we know that no matter what happens, we are safe and secure in him. Um, and mm -hmm. I praise God that the law doesn't have a claim on me anymore. Amen. Amen. Uh, the Amen. last thing that I want to talk about, um, and this, I mean, we might end up just finishing this discussion <laughs> next week because there's a lot here. But, how, okay, how does the Old Testament, so from a very devotional perspective, like if you're teaching somebody how to read through the Old Testament, what are some benefits that you would share with them? So I'm going to share with you some of the benefits that I believe we can get from the old Testament. And, uh, and then of course, if y'all have anything to add to that, I'd be happy to hear it. So, um, first is beautiful pictures of redemption. So typology. So when you're reading the law, yes, we're not required to keep 
these laws anymore. In fact, we can't keep them. Christy, you mentioned it earlier. Like mm-hmm. we don't have a temple. Okay, right. so you're not allowed to offer sacrifices without the temple. Right. Um, and that's why it was so crucial whenever the temple was destroyed. I mean, the we Jews don't have that did, whole thing with the stones either. Yeah, the Urim and the, the yeah. Thummim. And so we don't have the law um, in that sense anymore. And so we're not obligated to keep these things, but they do give us pictures. And, and not just the law. I think of uh, so many examples, um, such as like the scarlet cord in front of Rahab's house. I think of... Mm-hmm. Uh, the Passover, um, I think of um, even not just redemption, but pictures of spiritual principles like Jacob wrestling with God. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much to be said about that. Um, you, Jeff, earlier, I think you uh, quoted from, I think it was Romans uh, 15, 4, talked about all these things were written for our instruction. So mm-hmm. we can find all throughout the Old Testament spiritual principles. I'm reading through Judges right now, mm-hmm. and I love Judges. And for encouragement and hope. Too, yes, yes. That's the end of that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. For encouragement. Um, Give a plug for JL there in Judges. What's that? Yeah, for JL. <laughs> for JL. I just My actually, favorite. no joke, I read about that this morning. I was thinking of you. Tent spike through the head. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, prophecy. Take warning in bed. Have was a it? snacky and a nappy. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally thinking of that exact thing when I read it this morning. But uh, prophecy is another thing we get from it. Like we just talked about prophecy. Like we've been talking about Zechariah and Ezekiel. Um, Isaiah talks about. Uh, the lion eating grass like an ox. Mm -hmm. Like these are things we wouldn't know if we didn't have the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And lastly, this one, this is so near and dear to my heart because I see teenagers completely um, just lost and and not just lost in the, the sense that we think it automatically, you know, just unsafe, but lost in the sense that they have no idea where they came from Mm. and they're, there's no sense of value and meaning. And that's no all, foundation. That's There's all no rooted foundation. in the foundation, which is the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, how, I don't understand how anybody today uh, can't see the, um, the threat in people saying Genesis is really optional. You so have verse people, about the, if the foundations are destroyed, what is that verse? Um, Help me out, y'all. Say it again. If the about. foundations are destroyed, the people what is... perish. Is that no? No, that's, that's not without that. a hope. That's not right. Yeah, that's not it. I got that mixed up. Yeah, without a vision, the people perish. No, it's it's with the if the foundations are torn down or destroyed. What can the people do? I think is something along somebody those lines. Screaming you find it for us at their computer. Yeah, somebody's right like like I do when I watch YouTube videos. They're like, yeah. we know this, we know this, but um, I, I think of Genesis and young Earth creationism. I know that this is something that a lot of people say it's not a hill to die upon. Um, I know that there are a lot of different views, even within young earth creationism, but I found the, the idea Psalm three. Yeah. Yeah. It's if the foundations are broken, what can the righteous do? Good. We found it. Um, but I think that if you question the historicity of Adam, for example, hmm. and you say, well, maybe Adam was just an evolved ape. Maybe Adam is just a principle like, you know, a collective metaphor for mankind. These are very popular ideas. In fact, I, I listened to a creation podcast, Institute of Creation Research, and uh, one of the guys said he went to um, the Evangelical Theological Society conference, and uh, he said there was a panel, and he says there was four or five prominent theologians, uh, very much respected, spearheading, you know, that group, that society, and they were all sharing their views on Adam. And every single one denied a straightforward reading of Genesis. Every single wow, one denied wow. that Adam was, was 
created by God, what? special creation. Was Peter Inns Every one single of them? one of them. Huh? Peter Inns wow. with Biologos, was he I'm up not there? sure, maybe. I know I know William Lane Craig, I don't know if he was one of these, but mm. his view was represented. And it's basically wow. the idea that, you know, at some point in evolution, theistic evolution, God breathed into one particular lineage, and that was Adam. Mm. And wow. uh, oh and so this is, but this is becoming mainstream right. and if you read these people's books like i i've recommended them so much in the past because they don't get into this stuff you know and uh, they'll give you solid apologetics in many ways wayne lane craig uh yeah like yeah, william lane craig. craig like i've i've quoted that guy i've showed videos from reasonable faith reasonable many times but um i'm, I'm just so disappointed mm-hmm. with um uh, not just him i'm disappointed with a lot of people like him who for some reason, they just can't bring themselves to trust that God's word is historically accurate from start to finish. I yeah. mean, uh, it's trite, but I heard, I think it was my brother, Jim, mentioned that he had heard a pastor say, I would rather stand before God and have him say, you took my word too literal mm-hmm. than Absolutely. to stand before God and say, you didn't take it literal enough. Absolutely. Because are we going to outsmart God? Nope. Never. You know, and the Bible when it uses symbolism, it defines and explains symbolism exactly. somewhere, either there mm-hmm. or somewhere else. There is, why would God write a book he doesn't want us to understand? Absolutely. And, and if you just look at it from a straightforward perspective, when I say straightforward, mm-hmm. I mean yeah. interpreting it uh, in light of the language, mm-hmm. the genre, okay, mm-hmm. a literary perspective. There is no difference mm-hmm. between Genesis 1 through 11 and the rest of the book. And that's mm-hmm. what they want to do. They want to say, okay, Genesis 1 through 11 with the creation of Adam and Eve, you know, with the six days of creation, with the flood, mm-hmm. with the Tower of Babel. They mm-hmm. want to take all of that and they want to mythologize it. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it, they have no problem. Yeah. Like they, have, yeah. they do not question Abraham. In fact, some of these people will try to use archaeological data to show that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, like all of this stuff, their society, their culture, their way of life is corroborated by evidence outside the Bible. But the same people mm-hmm. will not trust in the evidence that we have supporting the, the first 11 but chapters. Jesus, like the flood, Jesus which is, is quoting it. Exactly. In the beginning. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know what they'll do? This is what, to me, it's borderline heresy, if not heresy. Um, but they'll say, when Jesus said that from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. This is what they're saying. Jesus said that as a man, and he spoke in ignorance. That wow. ba- basically, when he became a man, he surrendered we talked about these this. divine attributes, yeah. and Jesus uh, made a mistake. No. That's basically what they've said. But William, William Lane Craig has yeah. said this, yeah. and Hugh Ross has also said this. And these are again, these are evangelicals. So when it comes to the gospel. They're, they're pretty much in line with what the New Testament teaches. But when it comes to the Old Testament, they have almost just completely thrown it out. You're so, like, so who becomes the judge at this point of what is a mistake and what is not a mistake? Because if Jesus said a mistake there, where else is right. there a possible it's error a slippery slope. with which you can. And now you all of a sudden get the color coded Bible where mm-hmm. these words from Jesus maybe, mm-hmm. were, and we become judges of mm-hmm. God, which Sounds relatively familiar from this creator <laughs> yeah. being called Satan. Mm, yes, absolutely. Who said, God, you're not good. And right. so you didn't make me the way I think I should be. Mm. We become judges of God. And that's the scariest place to be. Yes. Because it doesn't take a few turns of a page in the Bible to find how God feels about that. Mm. And it, it's honestly, it's giving... It's giving the world a bad testimony. I know mm-hmm. that the world is always going to find something to point to. 
but we don't have let's to help. not help them out. Exactly. Let's yeah. not have to help Especially them. when, when you can easily avoid this and you should avoid this because mm-hmm. what you're doing is wrong. Whenever someone says, oh, well, you know, that stuff about creation and the flood, like that goes against the, you know, the scientific consensus. It's like, well, there are some scientists, by the way, who don't believe right. the way Plenty most of, of these people the science believe. science mm-hmm. is so maybe settled. you should listen to them, right? That's right. science yeah. is, you know, listening to mm-hmm. all these different sides, looking at the data, coming to your conclusions. Mm-hmm. But um, in the New Testament, most scientists don't believe in resurrections. If you were to ask the scientific consensus about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they would say, no, it didn't happen. Circular right. reasoning, right? So that it's like you, you, over here you say. Donald and Connell thing. Right? Donald and Connell. <laughs> <laughs> but over here you say, well, we ignore the consensus when it comes to the resurrection. But we will listen to the consensus when it comes to Genesis. But again, mm-hmm. you can't have the last Adam without the first Adam. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. You're completely, mm-hmm. again, you're completely contradicting God's word mm-hmm. and uh, it, and the world sees it and they're not mm-hmm. impressed by it. I mean, you might think that uh, the world respects you saying to them, well, you're right about this. You know, you're wrong about the resurrection, Mm-mm. but you're right about all this other right. stuff. All right. The it's atheist, like Richard Dawkins, um, he's like, you know what? Common, he's yeah. like, I, I'm glad that they're coming around to evolution, but they need to keep on coming around because they're wrong about this other stuff too. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if they were really cons- like consistent with God's word, they believe all of it. And it's I take funny, them more seriously, right? It's funny that unbelievers will see this book, the Bible, as a unit more often than Christians will. Mm-hmm. Christians, a lot of evangelicals will say, ah, New Testament, let's focus on that. Because a lot of Old Testament stuff is what throws off new believers. Yeah. It's what a lot of, a lot of you know, pe- they get their, their faith wrecked by the Old Testament. Let's just kind of not talk about the Old Testament. But unbelievers, they're right in that they say, look, you can't pick and choose. It's all God's word. Or none of it's God's word. Yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Amen. I agree with you on that. Exactly. Okay, you need to believe all of it. <laughs> right. Exactly. But uh, so on the value of the Old Testament in teaching, Ethnos three sixty new tribes, their method of reaching unreached people groups is that they start from the beginning teaching the annals of history of human history. So by the time they get to Jesus, the people are already familiar with the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Cause they've read about the Passover. They've read about the fall. They've read about all these things. And so they're like cheering when Jesus comes on the scene mm-hmm. because they know this, the, the background of they the story. Exactly Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and I will tell you from an overseas perspective, um, people in, I won't say the name of the country, but we all know several persecuted countries and yeah. the one near us in Thailand. Um, they are starting to come to faith because of a study of Genesis. Mm. That's awesome. In awesome. fact, several of our friends from that land will tell you the reason I believe in Jesus is because I started a Bible study and they started in Genesis because people from the big land have never really understood Mm. or origins Mm -hmm. of why people are valuable. Yeah. Mm. You know, all the things from historical perspective of political things and genocides and all these things were natural because we're all just people, but no, we're individuals created by God in the image of God and God cares for us as his creation and as God is love, that perspective has never hit their radar. Wow. And when it does, it changes marriages, it changes lives, and it changes their salvation because they see 
the truth. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a reason God, who knows who we are, started us in Genesis. Instead, yes. let's start here first. Absolutely. It's home. It is. It's, it's home. It's like, that's what I share with people about Eden. I'm like, mm -hmm. guys, do you not want to go back to Eden? There's something mm -hmm. in every single human being, because we're made in God's image. Yes. That longs for home. Yes. And we feel like detached. Like, mm -hmm. we look like at the world. For, and it's foreigners like, well, in the world. We're obviously, on the one side, you got design. And mm -hmm. you see design, you're like, obviously, we're made for the world. But there's something else. Like, something's missing. Mm -hmm. Like, even though we're designed for this world, something is just subtracted from it. Mm -hmm. And where did it go? Right. You know? And the subtraction in my mind is the knowledge of evil. Yes. God didn't create yes. us to know evil. He created mm. us to know good. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until we took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which yes. God said, don't do it. Mm -hmm. We can't handle the knowledge of evil. And so that knowledge is the loss of the innocence that God desired for us from the very beginning mm -hmm. of only knowing him and knowing how good he is. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where our heart cry is because we look at the world and we have evil. Yeah. Right. And we can, we can point to it, Yeah, you know, and, and we aren't meant to carry that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's, it's a personal knowledge. It's like you, you tell your kids, um, I, I tell, you know, especially Jamie over here because he's so little, mm -hmm. you know, what's, what's safe and what's not safe. And right. just as God warned him from the tree, like in the mm -hmm. day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Absolutely. And so we tell our kids like, look, we don't want you to know mm -hmm. the consequences of yep. certain things. Like we, we know that if you do this, let's say you take something metallic and you stick it in an outlet, like you're going to get shocked. It's mm -hmm. going to hurt very, very bad. It could kill you. Like, don't do mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And we don't want them to ever experience that. Exactly. And God, like you said, God wanted to keep us from that. He just mm -hmm. wanted to know him. It's kind yeah. of like, it's not it, just, go ahead. Corey Ten Boom in um, one of her books. Anyway, she talks about her father asking her father about sex and they were, they were on their way to someplace on a, a train and he said something about picking up his briefcase or his suitcase and it was so heavy mm -hmm. so I can't take it. And, it's be and he says, that's what sex is. It's too heavy for you. You're too young. When you mm -hmm. get bigger, you'll be able to pick that case up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Katie, yeah. I think that you shared that analogy with me before. Yeah, that's yeah. a great one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Y'all just need some rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. And it's not that I don't want to be honest with you because I'm honest with all my everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had a baby. We just mm -hmm. got everything. We both started the same. It's just not the ultimate issue. It's that's too right. heavy for her right exactly. now. And that's what she's told her. And, and that was the that was sin. I mean, the heart of God, even outside of the garden, went straight to Cain. Yeah. And where God says the same thing, listen, sin wants to control you. It wants yeah. to take over you. Don't choose it yeah and we know the result yeah you know mm. we can't handle it and well, so the heart of god says you don't have to you shouldn't have to and so i think that's where we go back again to the cross mm -hmm. and we see god carried it for he carried us. the burden absolutely, absolutely. Honestly, yep in the day-to-day -day, i don't want to have to stop and think am i doing the right thing am i saying the right thing to mm -hmm. my child my child mm -hmm. i want to be able to just simply enjoy them yes. and to go through my day and just enjoy it. Instead, I am burdened every single minute just about of what I'm doing wrong, what they're doing wrong, how I'm supposed to be teaching them. It's just it's heavy. I don't want that anymore. I want to be able to just enjoy the day. And mm -hmm. that knowledge of evil is what it was. It's like we didn't just die spiritually or physically. It was the death of innocence, too. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. Bringing it back to the idea of what do we have in the Old Testament? This conversation is is definitely one of them. The realization of our origins. But I think it also, speaking to the curses that God lovingly gave, points to the fact of his calling us back and that he keeps his promises. Mm -hmm. I think throughout the Old Testament, you can see that he keeps his promises, that God will... When he says something, he's going to keep it, and we can trust in that, whereas we don't necessarily see it as profoundly shown in the New Testament. We see the Holy Spirit doing the works and God keeping his promises in certain ways, but not to the degree of the Old Testament. To Revelation. It's the long game. I mean, the Old Testament, you got hundreds of years. Exactly. I mean, when talking about the New Testament, it from 50, well, sorry, 30 Mm -hmm. AD, mm-hmm. yep. you know, the beginning of Christ's ministry, it will mm-hmm. just start there, you know, yep. from there to the death of John, we'll say roughly, you know, 9,500 90. yeah. AD. Mm-hmm. I mean, very short time span. Old Testament, I mean, it's generational, mm-hmm. just generation upon generation. And reading the book of Judges, I mean, 400 mm-hmm. years there, that cycle. And mm-hmm. no matter how many times they went back to it, like you said, God was Doing calling right them back. Own eyes. And, mm-hmm. and uh, he was forgiving them of their iniquities and mm-hmm. something else that comes to mind. Um, and then this will be the last thing that I say. And then if y'all want to, you know, finish with something, you can. But uh, in the book of Jeremiah, and, uh, forgive me, I don't know the reference. It's just something that came to mind. It talks about God divorcing Israel. And right. we talked about this yeah. a long time ago. And it's interesting because Paul, in the book of Romans, he talks about how the death of a husband uh, or the death of a spouse. Really. Freeze the other spouse. Yes, freeze the spouse. Mm-hmm. And he talks about that in context of, of Jesus's death um, freed God up in a way to have a new marriage in a new relationship mm. with not just Israel, but for mankind in general. Mm. And so it's like when you read the Old Testament, you see Israel, you see them at the end of all that time, you know, right there at the end of the captivity when Jeremiah or sorry, right before the captivity and when Jeremiah is writing, um, you know, it talks about God divorcing Israel. Mm-hmm. And Jeremiah the, 3, by the way, for those that are listening. Thank you. Thank you. Read mm-hmm. Jeremiah 3. But um, the basis of that divorce was their adultery, their spiritual adultery. But then when you get to the New Testament and Paul talks about this greater covenant, this, this incorruptible covenant, this everlasting one that's based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's so comforting to know that I don't have to fear as a member of the body being divorced. Mm -hmm. I don't have to fear God casting me off Mm -hmm. because he's, he's made a way to enter into a marriage, a relationship with me and with all of us based on his faithfulness. And, Mm -hmm. and my sin has been put away by his death. Mm -hmm. And so there are so many things like that, that, I mean, we could talk about, but ultimately uh, I think we can all agree that if you don't have the old Testament, uh, the New Testament just, it stands meaningless. It, it, it has to be understood in context. And while we could, we could philosophize, I've heard some people, you know, debate about, okay, how much do you need to know when you get saved? What are the main facts? And, you know, can you be saved and believe this? You know, people talk about that all the time. I was listening to someone uh, talking about creation and they were like, yeah, yes, technically you can believe in theistic evolution and be saved at the same time theistic evolution undercuts the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you can inconsistently believe over here the gospel mm-hmm. and then yet believe in theistic evolution. 
but it doesn't make sense for you to do so. Mm-hmm. And so for and, us, and, and how do you witness from? Yeah, that? and how do right. you witness from that? No. And you don't have a unified testimony before exactly. the world. So, uh, and of course, you yourself are not going to have the comfort of understanding God's plan. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing where you stand and, and knowing that His words vindicated it's truth. So, uh, yes, technically, I mean, one could say, yeah, you hear the gospel, you believe the gospel, you get saved. And then you listen to some preachers who don't really have a high view of the Old Testament, and you could juggle both those at the same time. And you believe over here the gospel, mm. but not really have a high view of the Old Testament. But you're being deprived of the understanding Absolutely. that God wants for you because it was written for our instruction. It's like monochrome mm-hmm. and full color. There you go. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, without the background and the understanding, you don't get all the nuance and the color and the oh, okay. yeah to the New Testament. You're you're just kind of getting the, the bland, outline, sketch. the bland version. Yeah, nobody wants the, the vanilla bland version. version. Yeah. So, do y'all have anything Road, else to add? Like... Rainbow Sherbert. <laughs> do y'all, y'all have anything else to add? Ice cream, apparently. Ice cream. All right, sounds good. Maybe we should Sherbert. have some ice cream. All right. Well, God bless y'all. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we hope that you come back and listen to us again. God bless you.